the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You see, our connection to Jesus is what makes us the holy people of God. If we don't have a vital connection with Jesus, we're not the holy anything. We're not holy. We're not considered a chosen people or anything. But if we are in Christ, we are connected. That's Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, you can call at any time, 24-7, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Someone is standing by right now to take your phone call. Today's Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Oxentenko is the first portion of a message entitled, The Chosen. That's The Chosen, and you can find the entire message without interruption online at reachingyourheart.com. Again, we'll bring you the first portion of this message here today. Here now is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentenko, with today's Reaching Your Heart. Let's pray. Dear Father, may you remove from us any attitude which would have us look at another and not look within. Because when we look at Jesus, we see someone altogether better than us. And maybe we see ourselves for what we really are. Father, I'm grateful that Jesus is the servant who emptied himself, who gave himself, so that there was nothing more to give, and that he was the chosen one, so that we would all have perspective in the church. We would know that we're not great people. We're his people. Our greatness is defined by who he is. So as we open the scripture today, Lord, help us to see Jesus and to lose ourselves in that pursuit. In Jesus' name, amen. At the very end of time, those who are saved from the beast power and those who are protected for the last time of trouble, and that last time of trouble is coming upon the world, the Bible is very clear. They will be both chosen and faithful. At the very end of time, the kings of the earth will unite with the harlot church system to manipulate a world kingdom order that is the beast of Revelation 17. And that beast of Revelation 17 has a harlot that rides the beast. So there will be a fusion of the harlot and the beast in a final mystery power, a fusion, that will threaten the life of God's church on earth. And so that means that a corrupt church system, symbolized by the harlot, will try to dominate and guide a new kingdom order symbolized by the beast, and they will be one for a time, and that union will finally be destroyed by the coming of Christ. The harlot will have an unholy communion with the beast, and with her golden cup in her hand, full of the abominations of her unsanctified union, she will seek to destroy the church of God. And this harlot church, it's very clear when you read Revelation 17, she will harass the church, she will attempt for one last time to destroy the true church, and it will appear as if God's people will vanish from planet earth. 
And I believe that we are living on the eve of the advent of Jesus and we are destined to be there during that time. And where we are at will be determined to a large extent by the choices we make right now. Do we choose Christ now? Do we choose His Word now? Or do we choose to do our own thing and go our own way? Friend, I'll tell you, I will be aligned with the people by faith, not by virtue of myself. I will be aligned with the people by faith who follow the Bible, who love the Lord Jesus, who know that they are not perfect, but who rely on His perfection, and who through the faith of Jesus get through that time of trouble. And I will not, by God's grace, not by my own power, separate ever from God's people who are of that nature. So this struggle is a final union of the kings of the earth with the beast power and the harlot to destroy the church. And it will bring the end of nationalism. It's very clear in Revelation 17. The kings of the earth unite with the beast. They give up their royal authority. And for a very short period of time, for one hour in Bible prophecy, the whole world will unite to destroy God's people. And if you are one of God's people, the world will turn against you. It will be earth's darkest hour. And when evil seems about to triumph over good, the mighty God of Israel will interpose to save His people and to honor His eternal covenant. And those who are delivered on the last day will be those who are called and chosen and faithful, the Bible says. Open your Bibles. Let's turn to Revelation 17, 14. Here we have a very clear picture. It says, They will make war on the Lamb. The Lamb will conquer them. Now look what it says. For He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those, here is the condition, those with Him are called and chosen and faithful. How many of you want to be in that group? Okay, God has called you. He has called you through His Word, through the preaching of the Gospel. He has chosen you by His power and election in your life. And He has determined that if you are called and chosen, that you will by His power be faithful. Can you say amen to that? We are not called to be a weak form of Christianity. We are not called to a compromising form of Christianity. We are called to be Christians. And it is not in us that this occurs. Now this promise that God's people are called and chosen and faithful is an inspired echo of the servant song in Isaiah. Now someone says, Pastor Mike, what do you mean servant song? Well, there are four servant songs in Isaiah. They are prophetic songs in the book of Isaiah that describe the coming of Jesus Christ to save us from our sins. They are huge. In fact, the book of Daniel, Daniel 8 and Daniel 9, borrows heavily from these servant songs in describing Jesus as the great prince of the host who comes to save us as the mighty man in the mare, the great appearance of Christ at the cross of Calvary and in the incarnation to save us. It's coming right out of the servant songs. And these servant songs are all about Jesus who is the chosen and faithful servant of God. And so being chosen and faithful starts with Jesus and then it moves to us. It doesn't start with us. It starts with Him. The first servant song is in Isaiah 42, 1-4. Or perhaps it even moves to verse 8 depending on how you want to look at it. But usually it's considered 1-4. It begins in Isaiah 42, verse 1 by saying, Behold my servant. If I were to go through all the places in the Bible where it says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Pilate said, Behold the man. Behold the ram caught in the thicket. Behold a mighty man was standing with sword in hand. It's Christ very often. God wants us to behold the Son of God in His various capacities in Scripture. But here in the servant song, it starts by saying, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. 
I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. Verse 2, he will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. What is it saying there? It's saying if you're down, if your light is going out, if you feel like you don't have the energy to move forward in life... The servant will not push you to your limit to take you down. The servant will minister to you as God's ambassador of grace. Verse 4, he will not fail. You may fail, but he will not fail or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. An amazing prophecy of Christ. The servant, Isaiah 42, 1, is the chosen one that God upholds and that God delights in. Where have we seen this picture before of God speaking so positively about a person? Well, if you want to really look at the first picture, go back to creation. At creation, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters and God the Father spoke and the light of God appeared and the light of God overtook the darkness. And it was very clear there as the Holy Spirit was hovering at the Hebrew like a bird over the abyss of creation. God spoke the first words in the Bible that are from God Himself. And God said, let there be light. And then He separated the light from the darkness. He would never call the darkness good, but He declared that the light was good. And then sin came in as darkness. And so the waters and sin became the metaphors of evil. The waters and darkness became the metaphors of sin and evil. And so the picture was never seen again until the baptism of Jesus when the Spirit of God hovered over the waters of the River Jordan. And again, God spoke as the Spirit was moving over the waters. And this time, He didn't say the light was good because the light was in human form. He said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. The light of creation had become a human being. And we see in the baptism of Christ, creation all over again. A new beginning for the human race. This is the chosen one in whom I delight, my beloved Son. An echo of the servant songs. In Isaiah 42.1, God says, I have put my spirit upon him. And He will bring forth justice to the nations. Jesus was baptized with the Holy Spirit to reach the world in fulfillment of prophecy. Take your Bibles. Turn to Matthew 3.16. Notice the text. And when Jesus was baptized, He went up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were open. And what did He see? Saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on Him. And then it goes on to say, And lo, and behold, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Friends, there are times in life when God is not pleased with you. You hear me? There are times He's not pleased with you. Or me. When we have been disobedient or when we have faltered in our life. Now God loves us, but there are times He's not pleased with us. But the servant, Jesus Christ, is different from us in this one way. There was never a time from the cradle to the grave when God was not pleased with every single part of Jesus' life. And so Christ's life is meant to take the place of our life. That's why Jesus was baptized. He was baptized into the waters so that He could become the death substitute for the entire human race, so that He could enter the waters of death and die for us. We look at Jesus' decisions in his life, and when he made the decision at his baptism to die for the human race, God could not be silent. He said, this is my beloved son. I'm pleased with him because he is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. 
Here God the Father in the pattern of creation quotes the first servant song as he mingles it with the language of Genesis 1 and he affirms that Jesus is the chosen in whom he delights. Isaiah 42.4, the servant song ends with the promise that the servant will literally not become dim or crushed until he has established justice and the coastlands literally hope for his law. These servant songs are prophetic songs that are prophecies of Christ who is the servant of God like Moses was before him. See, this title didn't start with Christ. It goes back to Moses. Look at Numbers 12, verse 7 and verse 8. God is here rebuking a person for not listening to Moses. And look what he says. Not so with my servant Moses. He refers to Moses as my servant, just like the servant songs. He is entrusted with all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in dark speech, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? I mean, so here we had a little outbreak of rebellion in that ancient camp of Israel, and God is saying is, my servant Moses is not to be defied because he is my servant. Now, thus the servant, in the context of the servant songs, is the new Moses, who will give the law again for the nations. We live in a time when many Christians believe the law of God is obsolete for the Christian faith. That somehow justification by faith or righteousness by faith means you don't need to follow the law of God. Of course, they misquote the text in Romans that says Christ is the end of the law, but they don't read the rest for justification to all those who believe. In other words, Christ is the end of the law and using it to be saved, but He's not the end of the law as a moral standard. The Bible is very clear about this. We should never rely on the law as our Savior, but we should never forget the law as a standard of righteousness in the church. And so people are always trying to do away with Moses, but when you look in the book of Revelation, those who will be saved will sing the song of Moses, the servant of God and the Lamb at the time of the end. The second servant song is in Isaiah 49, 1-6. In the second servant song, the servant is the chosen and faithful one who was called from the womb to be God's servant. Now, we live in a time where people argue that life doesn't matter before it's born. When was Christ called, according to Scripture, from the womb? When was he named while he was in the womb? Pastor Michael Oxentenka will continue in just a moment. Reaching Your Heart is a listener-supported program. We step out in faith to purchase airtime on this station because we believe God is working through this radio ministry to touch tens of thousands of lives. Each of our messages is prayed over, biblical messages of hope and Bible truth. To continue, we need your support. We do not have a large ministry fundraising machine. We operate totally by faith. Call our toll-free number to make your contribution of any size today. That number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Or you can stop by our website, reachingyourheart.com. That's reachingyourheart.com. Let's get back to the broadcast now. Here is Pastor Michael Oxentenka with more of today's Reaching Your Heart. Now, we live in a time where people argue that life doesn't matter before it's born. When was Christ called, according to Scripture, from the womb? When was He named while He was in the womb? Friend, I'm sorry. Life is holy from the point of conception to the time it's born because Jesus was holy and Jesus was personal to God in that interim time. Thus the servant is chosen since he is called by the name of God and called in the womb. And by his faithfulness, the servant is the Israel of God here in this servant song who will bring Israel back to God. 
Thus the servant is the chosen call one. Isaiah 49 verse 1. Listen to me, O coastlands, and hearken, you peoples from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. So God is interacting with the embryo that would become Jesus. God is interacting with the child yet unborn because that child is God's child before it is born. Verse 2, he made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. The Hebrew word Torah for law comes from a verb that means to throw, to cast, or to shoot. And thus the Torah of God's law is God's arrow of truth that hits the mark in our lives. The law is God's purpose, His word that comes like an arrow into us to change us. And thus this was in the servant in the womb. He was the arrow of God. The law and word of God pierces the soul in the very heart of man. The servant of God here is the living law, the living arrow of God that was in Mary, hidden away in the quiver of God. And Jesus was named before he was born. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from his sins. And thus God validated his worth in the journey to become a born baby. John says the word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. And we beheld his glory. Verse 3 continues, and he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. The servant is Israel in this verse. That's kind of funny because in the same passage a little later on, it'll say that the vine is Israel and the Jewish people understood it to be so. And we'll understand that the servant will reach Israel as well. But here it is defined contextually, the servant is Israel. In John 15, 1, Jesus said to his disciples, I am the true vine. And the vine was Israel. So what is he saying? He's saying, I am the true Israel. You, know, you take the nation, but I am Israel. And so the servant is the true Israel of God that seeks to save Israel. That is not true to God. When you look at the Old Testament, Israel came from Jacob to form 12 tribes in the land of Egypt. And these 12 tribes formed a single nation at Mount Sinai. And this nation was known as Israel. That was its name. It was faithful sometimes. When you read the Old Testament, it was unfaithful most of the time. Not all that different than the church today. And when the Old Testament ends with the book of Malachi, for a few hundred years the prophets are silent because Israel is no longer faithful. And the promise is made in Malachi that God will send the great messenger of the covenant to prepare the way. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to His temple. When Jesus dies on the cross of Calvary in the New Testament... When his three-and-a-half-year ministry has run its course, he has been rejected. He has been reduced to a pariah. He has been arrested. He has been condemned. The nation he came to save officially has turned against him. And when Christ is hanging on the cross, his disciples have fled. His mother has been led away. And there's only one faithful Israelite left. And he's dying for the world and for the nation of Israel. And as a result in Jesus, friend, the Israel of God... That is, Christ extends the heart of God to create the Christian church, which becomes the new Israel built upon the faithful Israel that is Jesus. The word church means the called out ones. They're called out from the old to become part of the new. So Paul will proclaim that the church is, in fact, the Israel of God in prophecy. Look at Galatians 6, verse 15 with me. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but what does he say? but a new creation. Now circumcision was the sign and seal that you were a follower of Abraham or at least a child of Abraham. Paul is saying, forget the old Israel, what it means to be a member of the old Israel. When you're baptized, 
According to Colossians, that's your circumcision. You are initiated into the church, the new Israel, by baptism. Then verse 16, he says, Peace and mercy be upon all who walk by this rule. And now he's speaking to the church upon the Israel of God. You see, our connection to Jesus is what makes us the holy people of God. If we don't have a vital connection with Jesus, we're not the holy anything. We're not holy. We're not considered a chosen people or anything. But if we are in Christ, we are connected. Through Jesus, the church becomes Israel because Jesus is Israel. Jesus is the servant, the true vine that is Israel. And thus we are God's people now. Isaiah 49.3, continuing in the servant's song. And he said to me, You are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. Verse 4, But I said I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. Sometimes we think, well, Christ was a success during his entire ministry. When you read the story in the Gospel of John, most of his disciples left him because he would not force his way to be king. He would not defeat the Romans and establish an empire on their terms. And they left him. And we went to Passion Week. He was a pariah. He had a few followers. A crowd gathered and rejoiced. But they quickly turned into the mob that jeered at his crucifixion. Christ's ministry of three and a half years ended in apparent failure. At the cross, it looked like Jesus had given his strength and energy for nothing. And that his sacrifice and his life ministry was an empty thing in the end. And then Jesus cried out those awful words on the cross as God's servant. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It looked like his sacrifice for us had failed to him. And yet Jesus trusted his father to reward his efforts by raw faith to save the world in the sacrifice of the servant. He would never take the chance to give up. And so he gave his life without the certainty of its victory until the very end of his life. On the cross, Jesus was the servant, the chosen, the faithful, the one who was called by name. In verse 5, the servant song continues, and now the Lord says, who formed me from the womb to be a servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. So the servant is Israel, and yet the servant gathers Israel. He goes on to say, For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Out of the horrible, crushing discouragement that Jesus endured becomes the light of the world that pierces the darkness of the nations. There was light at the dawn of time when God said, let there be light. There was light again when God gave the word because his word is a lamp and a light. But the written word was nothing but an extension of the living word who is Jesus. And when Christ broke the boundaries of the tomb on resurrection morning, John 8, 12 had a whole lot more meaning than when he spoke it at the temple. I am the light of the world. Christ is the first dawn that breaks the power of death. I am the light of the world. And he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I don't know about you. I don't want to walk in darkness in my life. Do you? I don't want to have attitudes that are of the enemy. I don't want to be overcome with discouragement or have a resentment toward another person. I want to have Christ in my life. And friend, if we walk with Christ, we will be governed by the Spirit of Christ. Our lives are filled with darkness naturally, unless Jesus is the light that illumines the road. 
In Isaiah 49.6, the fourth servant song ends with the promise that the servant's light will reach the whole world with the light of God. Let's look at it together. Isaiah 49.6. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. And I like this part. I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. You know, sometimes we think the church is the light of the world. In a sense it is, because Jesus said we are. But the ultimate light that goes to the world is Jesus, the servant. The church is to bear witness to who Jesus is. And so God gives Jesus to be the light, and the church goes because the church points back to Jesus. This verse is quoted just before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus ascended to heaven, He gathered His disciples together. He gave them the great commission, in a sense, to go to the world in the book of Acts. And he remembered that God had appointed him as the light of the world, but he had appointed his disciples to take him to the world. Acts 1.8, he says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, sometimes we think we have power because we've studied hard, we've worked hard, or we've been voted in a position in the church. And Christ is saying, you know how you get power? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Well, unfortunately, we need to leave it there for the first portion of The Chosen When we get together again, we'll complete this broadcast. But until at that time, you can always listen online to the entire message at reachingyourheart.com. Are you fascinated by the prophecies of Revelation? Have you wished you could understand prophecy better? Do the symbols of the Bible's last book baffle you? God's Last Altar Call is just the book you need. Mark Finley clearly explains the events soon to unfold in this world. Be sure to call today for your copy, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. The book is yours for a donation of any size. Thank you for your generosity. Your donations keep this ministry on the air. Again, thank you for your support, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. If you would like to listen to this message again, it is available for you at reachingyourheart.com. Once again, reachingyourheart.com. There are many messages available along with this broadcast as well. Thanks for listening today. And as always, we want you to know that we do pray that God is reaching your heart. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.